The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Welcome to the Three Down Nation podcast. I'm Justin Dunk, joined by J.C. Abbott. Today, we're discussing CFL Commissioner Randy Ambrosi's bold expansion statement. The Riders believing QB Cody Fajardo plays best under pressure. The Bombers viewing two Canadian running backs as starters. And up-and-coming Canadian quarterbacks. Oh, yeah, yeah. But first... The idea of naturalized Canadians is once again a topic during collective bargaining negotiations. If it's adopted by the League and Players Association, how will that affect athletes born and raised in Canada? I want to preface this entire conversation first and foremost by saying I'm actually in favor of naturalized Canadians to some extent. If we can expand the ratio, if we can provide designated spots for them, I think it behooves the league to to have a rule where if you spend, I don't know, for me, it would be five years in in the same city. Now, all of a sudden, you have this unique status that incentivizes teams to keep you around. I am in favor of that. But what's being pushed right now, and details are scarce, but there are people around the league that are hearing things that this is a drastic cut that people in, in powerful positions are pushing to the ratio it could have a devastating impact on Canadian talent. Even what they wanted to push last year, where they brought it down and they thought they could have three veteran Americans starting in place of Canadians and and on the game day ratio, so bringing it down from 21 players to just 18, that's a significant cut. And I had people tell me this week that if a change like that had been enacted, someone like John Cornish, would not have made the roster. He would have been cut by the Calgary Stampeders. We're talking about a Hall of Fame player, one of the best to ever do it. And because he started out his career as a a bottom-of-the-roster special teamer before he could work his way into a starting role, he would not have made the team because of a rule change like this. So it will have a significant impact, even if you're of the belief that those last three guys on the roster don't matter. I just hope in general that nothing is done to hurt the potential of Canadians in the future. Because right now, JC, I think you would agree, we are either starting in the middle of or just beginning the golden era of Canadians in football. We've never had more starring, dare I say, in the NFL. We've never had more starring in the NCAA. We've never had more athletes going from youth sports to the NFL and obviously from the NCAA and U Sports sprinkling in and being major contributors in various ways in the CFL. So I don't think there needs to be a push here to reduce the amount of Canadians on rosters. And your John Cornish example is a great one, and there's many others like it. Let's say a guy like Andrew Harris. In the future, 
if there's somebody who's a star in the Canadian Junior Football League, but you have these Americans who a lot of the coaches in the CFL, like it or not, you're better than Canadians, you could argue a guy like Harris maybe never gets a chance the route that he took to get to the CFL. Logan Furlan comes to mind as well, a guy that was in the Canadian Junior Football League and now is starting for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. So I certainly think that you do not need to aid rosters in this way. And again, it goes back to the point that I've been making, it seems like for a while now, that the issue is not the game. The issue is not the talent level in the CFL. It's the business. The business people need to go out and put in the work and get more bums in seats, more revenue in so that the league can grow. The issue is not, in this example, the amount of Canadians playing every game day on CFL rosters. And even from the perspective from which the team or the people that are pushing for this are approaching it, it doesn't make any sense whatsoever, Justin. Not a single lick of sense. First of all, if you truly believe that Canadian talent is inferior, which I can debate you on, but let's, let's go with that premise for right now, which I wrote an article on. If you believe that, well, having Canadians on the field provides you with mismatches. It provides you with the opportunity to make big plays, to have that more exciting game that you're always talking about. The fact of the matter is bringing more average Americans in doesn't give you that chance. Right now, there's, there's not very much of a, a talent disparity from the top of the CFL to the bottom of the CFL. Canadians include it. It's a very tight window. And when you want exciting football games, you need a big talent disparity. You need big time stars against guys who are not going to be hanging around very long. And that window is shrunk in the CFL in large part because the NFL has become a different league and has taken a lot of that top level talent that used to come to the CFL for a variety of reasons that weren't really football related, whether they were tweener pass rushers or black quarterbacks or short quarterbacks or you know, undersized slot receivers, all those guys that the, the CFL used to feast on and, and have such productivity with are going to the NFL these days. So the top level talent just isn't the same. And because the bottom has risen at the, at the same time, you've got this very compact, you know, tightly knit group of talent here where everyone's pretty equal, even your bottom level Canadians. And so there's not a lot of opportunity for these big breakaway splash plays that we've become used to. So I don't see the logic in removing more opportunities for those. But even to go further, I mean, the XFL and the USFL, whether you think they'll last or not, exist right now. And they will for at least another year. We can safely say that because the XFL is coming out next year. So you've got at least two years of this problem. Why? When two leagues are going to be taking all of this average American talent, would you, as the Canadian Football League, want to make yourself more reliant on bottom-of-the-roster American guys? That makes zero sense. It's a bad plan because those guys are going to want to go to the USFL and the XFL where you can get an advantage is with those quality Canadian players that you can attract, stay closer to home, pay better, and that brings your league up. So it just doesn't make sense to me on any perspective. 
Totally agree. And some people will argue on the other side, JC, that a lot of the Canadians might not develop into stars in the league. But if they're not given that chance, you're never going to have a John Cornish, an Andrew Harris, an Andy Fantuz, and on down the list, some of the star Canadian players that maybe not right from the jump or great in this league, took a little bit of time, figured out the league, the nuances, how to be a professional, and then got to that star level. And when those Canadians become stars, they are on a level that connects with a community that is just not the same as an American. I don't care if it's Cody Fajardo as the franchise quarterback for the Rough Riders or Darian Duran or whoever else it might be. When you're a Canadian star, like let's say Andrew Harris playing for your hometown town, hometown team in Winnipeg, you cannot beat that. So you need to have those opportunities for Canadians. And I definitely think the talent is there for more of these guys to come along in the future and develop into stars. But if we take away those chances, then you're going to reduce that. And as you said, you have a couple of leagues right now who are going to take even more American talent off the roster. If you talk to CFL personnel men, they'll first and foremost talk about how the expansion of the NFL practice rosters have taken a number of potential stars away from the CFL. I believe it went from 10 to 12, and it might even be at 16 now after the COVID years that the NFL played with. So you're talking about literally hundreds of players that usually would have ended up in the CFL as potential American stars. But now there's competition, not only for the players that are going to be left off NFL teams after those expanded practice rosters, but there's going to be hundreds of other players that are going to be playing in the XFL that are going to be playing in the USFL that some people might argue could have been in the CFL. So I think you need to go the other way, I would argue, and open up the door for more Canadians. We've seen, the most successful teams in recent years gets talked about all the time. How good is your Canadian depth and your quarterback? Those are the two key things that every general manager, personnel man, head coach, anything in this league knows that you need to have on your team to be competitive. So let's give more opportunities. We've oftentimes seen the highest quality teams in the league start more than the seven required Canadians. We've finally, JC, gotten to the point where quarterback actually counts towards the ratio. So we're moving in a positive direction. The Canadian talent has never been better, but yet the Canadian Football League wants to reduce positions on rosters for Canadians. I just can't comprehend why they feel like that would be a smart idea. I'd like for someone to enlighten me the other way. And there are people around the league who say, you know, Fans don't engage with these bottom of the roster Canadians. Now I take issue with that because I think some of these guys, the fullbacks, the special team stars of the world, in my experience, become some of the most embedded members of the community, fan favorites, a lot of them, and are actually attracting more attention than some of the American stars that come or go. But even if you have that belief that fans don't care about the bottom of the roster guys, they don't know their names. So why not bringing a guy from Ohio State? Well, the, the fact of the matter is they won't care about the guy from Ohio State either. Talk to the average guy on the street who follows the NFL because he has a fantasy team. Talk to him about his favorite team. Can he name more than seven starters? Maybe he gets to 10. He can't name the whole starting roster. And that's for the NFL. That's where everyone's supposed to be the greatest talent in the world, right? 
people don't care about the bottom of the roster, no matter what sport they watch, unless you're an avid fan who's already invested and is invested in the bottom of the roster now. So you're not getting that added engagement with the casual viewer that you think you are by bringing in these guys that they can't tell apart from a kid from a Kagia anyway. So why are you taking away an opportunity for a Canadian job? And you know, those bottom of the roster guys are not going to have family and friends traveling up to the games as much as Canadians who would be closer to those stadiums. So I'm not saying you want to rely on that for revenue, but the small things could help in this instance. And again, we're open to hearing the higher ups in the CFL present their argument as to why this is a smart idea. But again, it's going to infuriate the core fan base of the league. And JC, I think you and I agree on this topic going over it, that it's not going to necessarily help the CFL out in its goal to entice that generation it's lost and younger fans to tune in to the CFL. Mm -hmm. Now, speaking of Acadia, Commissioner Randy Ambrosi put the odds on a CFL expansion to the Maritimes in the near future at over 100%, Justin. On a scale from 1 to 10, Ambrosi said it's an 11. How do you interpret that statement? To me, he's saying it's a certainty that the Atlantic Schooners are going to be playing football at some point in the near future out in, it seems like, Halifax. So what we need to give Ambrosi credit for here is something that he didn't do recently with the four down topic that caught like wildfire and got a lot of people upset and I still don't necessarily believe his words but he's come out and made a definitive statement here saying we're serious about going to Atlantic Canada and making this happen now that's great but you still need to go ahead and the most important thing JC you know this is to get a stadium built out there to have municipal and provincial support for the team because it doesn't sound like to me based on the previous history and how they were going to get the funds together to construct the stadium that schooner sports and entertainment is going to foot the entire bill maybe with the cfl and some of its owners helping out so that's the critical factor here now maybe behind the scenes in all fairness they've talked to the power players out there and feel like there's a sense of optimism and that they could get some taxpayer funds to help out. But until that ball gets rolling again, then I have a hard time seeing this being at an 11. That said, I do like the positivity and we all want to see that 10th team to make the CFL truly coast to coast. We really do, but I, I think this is a bit of a dangerous statement based on the information that we know publicly right now, which is that the money was there for a stadium and it got pulled because of COVID. Now, hopefully what this statement indicates is exactly what you said, that there's been movement behind the scenes, that there's been some handshake deals with you know, the provincial or the municipal government out there, that a stadium will be on its way. And I think there is some buzz about this upcoming touchdown Atlantic game in Acadia uh, next year between Toronto and Saskatchewan, that perhaps this is a launch pad for talks that expansion is a certainty and that some more information will come out at that time. Right now, we're not privy to that. So to say this, if that's not the case, I think is a little bit short-sighted 
because we've heard this before. We've had promises of expansion with the schooners that have fallen through. So everyone's a little bit on eggshells when it comes to that. But if Ambrosi is indicating that he knows things that we don't, then it's a very positive sign. There was a lot of positivity before the pandemic for SSC, Schooner Sports and Entertainment, and the Atlantic Schooners to get going because they had been granted conditionally that $20 million from the Halifax Regional Municipality to go towards a stadium. So if that's the idea and where the positivity is coming from, that they could get back into the mix there because they did, let's say, win that vote to have access to the cash at the time, then I would think, yeah, it seems reasonable that they could get there. The other interesting part that came out of Ambrosi's statement on this to me, and there was some people on Twitter saying, well, how do you go from 10 to 12? <laughs> because Ambrosi was talking about Quebec City as a possible expansion location. And then, okay, if you get to 11, well, where's the 12th franchise? Some people have talked about Saskatoon and there's been some other places bannied about, but I think it's a fair point that some of the people made on Twitter, I can't believe I'm going to say this, but you need to just focus in on 10, do it really well before you even think about going to 11 or 12. Let's see if the CFL can do 10 really well, because there's some markets we all know right now, Toronto, Montreal to agree to a degree and BC that are struggling. So hopefully they can do 10 really well. And then if that goes well after a few years, hopefully along the lines of the Ottawa Red Blacks, then I think potentially you look at 11 or 12. Now, when Quebec City was brought up, it's certainly intriguing because the Laval Rouge or have done so well there in terms of drawing fans, creating a tailgate atmosphere, and they support football, whether the Rouge or are playing or not. There's a lot of Laval jerseys in the stands there when they've hosted Vanier Cups over recent years that I've been there on the ground with. So they're supportive of football, but they're hardcore, especially about the Laval Rouge or. So I'm not necessarily sure that you could turn all of those people into Quebec City CFL football fans, let's say. And then there might even be some competition. But depending on the way you go about it, and if you get creative, if those two entities work together, then you could have a way where maybe you can create football weekends. There are football doubleheaders like we're seeing the Edmonton Elks do with the University of Alberta Golden Bears, and it's a win-win for everybody. So I like the idea and the thought process, but let's do 10 really well before we start going to 11 or 12. Yeah, in fairness to Ambrosi, the question that was asked of him used the number 12. So that's how he came to the number 12 in that particular context. But I did have someone who would know, you know all the details about what's going on in this country in, in terms of football tell me that Laval is in Quebec City. It's a non-starter for a CFL franchise like that's it's a pipe dream based on what's going on there with the Rouge or and, and how that's all set up. It's not in the imminent future at all. And Ambrosi knows that. So to bring it up is, uh, is more for optics than anything else. Now, I'd love to see it. I'd love to see 12 teams. I'd love to see a team in Quebec City. But it is going to be difficult. And we're talking about, I think, decades of legwork in terms of getting, instead of touchdown Atlantic games, you know, touchdown Quebec City games to try and get your foothold here. 
because there is some some cultural aspects to when it comes to the CFL. And we don't appreciate this enough uh, because things have stabilized in Montreal. But for a long time, there's been division, Francophone, Anglophone, when it comes to Canadian football, which has always been seen as as more of a Anglophone hierarchy, as it were, or, or an Anglophone sport. And now Quebec City has had a lot of success. And Laval has had tons of success with the sport. The CEGEP system is strong, but it still hasn't necessarily translated in Francophone communities in terms of dedication to particular CFL franchises. So there's still a disconnect there that's deeply rooted, uh, goes back decades, and, and you'll have to put in some hard work to undo some of that. Let's just do 10 well and then see where it goes from there. The Riders believe quarterback Cody Fajardo is at his best in, quote, the most pressure-packed situations, close quote. Social media reacted with gifts of them hitting the upright in the 2019 West Final. Rightfully so, I suppose. Can Fajardo perform under the ultimate pressure of Saskatchewan hosting the Grey Cup in November? To me, Fajardo is a bit of an enigma because I think he actually performs fairly well under pressure on the field. Um, even hitting the goalpost, I don't think that's necessarily a, an indicator of him choking. It, it is funny, but I don't place all the blame on him. That was, that was a fluke incident. That's not his fault necessarily. But what I do see with him in some of his, his commentary during last season is that he is deeply affected when people come on social media with those gifts of him hitting the upright and other critiques. And on a human level, right, we do need to be kinder on social media. I can empathize with him. But as a starting quarterback for the most well-followed franchise in the CFL, coming up on the most important potential game of your life in trying to get to a great cup in Regina, I wonder how he'll be able to handle the increased microscope that he's going to be under and all the added critiques that will come this year because you could see that it hurt him in a very real sense some of the criticism that he received from fans last year it did and he talked about it pretty openly with all due respect he let us inside his mind and his thought process a little bit but he's about to experience a season unlike any other and really only Darian Durant can tell him what it's like from a quarterback perspective to go through a year like that. And Durant was able to stand at old Mosaic Stadium, hoisting the Grey Cup at the end of the 2013 season and become a legend for life in that franchise wearing green and white. Like maybe one day he'll have a statue there for what he did just arguably in that season alone. So if Fajardo can deal with the pressure and I think you made a valid point on the field. We have seen him come up with big plays and he's been a winner since being a starting quarterback. Like he has a great win loss record. I don't know exactly what it is off the top of my head, but I think it's in and around 22 and 10 in the regular season. The only thing is he's ran into the Winnipeg blue bombers who become a juggernaut twice in the West final, but both of those were one score games that arguably could have went either way. You take the upright, out of the way there. Let's say Fajardo completes that for a touchdown pass. They tie the game. Who knows what happens? And then they had all those turnovers and opportunities in Winnipeg 
last year with a chance to get to the Grey Cup. And Craig Dickinson has come out and said, like, they felt like they could have won that game. So they've been right there. But this season, there will be expectations unlike any other. Not even just the average football fan, but people around the province. And I'll give you an example. We'll expect the Riders to be in the game because in Hamilton, everyone just thought because the Tiger Cats were hosting a Grey Cup, meant they were going to be in the game. Those are, of course, the uninitiated CFL fans. But when that's the thought process, you have to get there. It doesn't matter what everybody thinks, but you actually have to win your way there, as we well know. And Fajardo's going to have to deal with that pressure. So I hope that he honestly doesn't read social media as much mm. and just keeps his focus on the field for the benefit of the riders. Yeah, d- delete your Twitter, delete your Instagram, delete your Facebook, <laughs> go into a little bubble, only read books. That's my advice to Kogi Fajardo. Uh, I think he, he did take a bit of a step back last year, and every quarterback in the league did because of the year off, and it weighed on him with the criticism. My question is, can he take a step forward again? Can he prove to us that he's resilient? Because he's got all the talent in the world on the field. I think he can be dynamic. He can get the riders there as long as he's right upstairs. And they got to protect him up front. To me, that is the absolute key. Getting Jamal Campbell was a mm. great pickup for them that a lot of people might not have expected. But I think that's going to be critical that there might be some unfair criticism directed Fajardo's way this year like there was last year because they just didn't protect him very well. Getting Duke Williams back is certainly going to help Hopefully Shaq Evans is healthy because that's one of his favorite deep threats. In fact, probably his favorite guy to go down the field and get vertical with. So you start the season off healthy and hopefully you can protect him. And then you probably have a pretty good job because he has shown in those pressure situations that he has no issue throwing the ball or stepping up, putting his shoulder down, putting his body on the line to do what it takes to get wins. Now, Ryder friends and Craig Dickinson and Jeremy O'Day and even Craig Reynolds might cringe sometimes when he's diving for the pylon like he did against the Hamilton Tiger Cats. I believe that was back in 2019. But the fact that he has that mentality bodes well for him in those situations, that he's not afraid to step up, right? Sometimes you see quarterbacks that do not put their body on the line or are not willing to do everything that it takes from a physical pounding standpoint to get a win. But we know Fajardo's going to do that. And you would imagine another year actually on the field in Jason Moss's offense will certainly help him in his quest to hoist that great cup at new Mosaic Stadium and do what Darian Durant was able to do in 2013. Certainly. And the team that did it last year is going to have a new running back. But Blue Bombers head coach Michael Shea believes that both Canadians, Brady Oliveira and Johnny Augustine, can be the starter while helping to replace Andrew Harris. Will the young backs be effective for the blue and gold? I really think they can be because the one stable part of the Blue Bombers lineup here is the offensive line. Now, there's been some changes. Obviously, Drew Desjardins went down and signed with an NFL team, but You look at the tackle situation, they have Stanley Bryant, who is far and away the best left tackle in the league by a long shot. I had one personnel man tell me the other day that it's Stanley Bryant up here way above everybody else. He's an elite guy, 
And then really the rest of the other eight teams, you could probably interchange their left tackle spot. Now I'm sure there'd be some arguments there too, but I think it was a valid part point. You have Yoshi Harjik on the other side. He's been locking down that right side. And then you have Michael Couture back in the middle. So a lot of continuity in my mind on the offensive line up front should help Brady Oliveira and Johnny Augustine be productive. Will they be as good as Andrew Harris? No, that's definitely not fair, especially out the gate to expect that. But they've shown flashes and both have starts under their belts in the CFL where they can be effective and average over five yards of carry and catch the ball out of the backfield and pass protect. Do those types of things that you need to do to be a starter in this league. So I think it'll be a very intriguing experiment to see how these guys perform over an entire season versus what Harris was able to do there and compare some of the numbers, especially the yards per carry. You touched on it. Running back production comes from that offensive line and Winnipeg's got that squared away. Now, I don't know if individually either of them can reach the same heights as Andrew Harris. Andrew Harris is a very, very special player. But I think what you've got in Oliveira and Augustine is two backs who can complement each other, who you can run in tandem. Now, O'Shea says they can both start. I think what he really means is they can both be on the field and they're both going to get a lot of carries. You know, Oliveira, we've seen it. He can grind it out. He can get those tough yards like Harris did. I think Augustine, we've seen it late in games. He can hit those chunk plays, the big long runs. He's fast. He's quick. Both of these guys can contribute to your offense in different ways. And I'll even add in guys like Kyle Borsa, who's down the depth chart as someone who can come in a little bit. And if you get him on a roster, he can help you in the passing game as well. So I think they don't have an Andrew Harris on the roster anymore. Get that out of your mind. But perhaps they have, I don't know, what is it, like a a transformer where they all come together and they create (laughs) one Andrew Harris? They have three parts that can create an Andrew Harris, and that's just as good. And I forgot Patty Newfeld, who I believe held down the right guard spot there. He's back Mm -hmm. yet again, has been a solid veteran for them and has stayed healthy, more importantly, of late. Now, they'll obviously have to replace Desjardins up front at that left guard spot. And it looks like Jeff Gray could be the favorite to step in there, a guy behind the scenes that's ultra athletic. When he was coming out from the University of Manitoba, Manitoba, JC, you'll remember this, he could ride a unicycle at his unbelievable height and weight like what is he six four six five three hundred plus yeah. pounds the dude is a big guy give rod freaking unicycle for goodness sake so they've got an athletic dude that could potentially step in there at left guard they've got some other intriguing depth there so i think the offensive line is that factor where the bombers will still be able to run the ball but it won't be as you said with a bell cow back like harris who's been able to keep himself healthy well into his 30s And I like that you mentioned Borsa here because Borsa is a fast dude. Like we're talking 4-4 type speed. And he had a little bit of a taste in Bombers camp last year. They stayed in touch with him when he went back to the University of Regina for his last season. And I think that if he picks the game up and it starts to slow down for him, he could be one of those home run hitters. Augustine is a physical specimen. You look at that guy, he should be competing for one of those – trophies i forget what they're called but like mr world or mr everything or all what mr. Universe? there you go mr universe 
And then you got Oliveira who loves dogs and can kind of bring that element to the community. Maybe that entices some people to go out and watch him with the human interest angle. So I really like what the Bombers have done here in terms of fortifying the offensive line and then seeing how it's going to work out with these younger backs. Again, they're not going to be Harris. There are few, if any, people that might even ever come along again that will put up the type of numbers that he can in the running game and the passing game. But this experiment, let's say, will be very intriguing to watch. JC, my man, you did research for an in-depth piece called The Promised One, and I love it. The top 10 candidates to be the next great Canadian quarterback. Who are the best up-and-coming QBs Canada should know about? Well, the obvious answers are are the two that are going to be in the pros next year. Nathan Rourke, who will be starting in BC, and, and Trey Ford, who may actually be in the NFL come next season. But I'll give you some up-and-comers below those guys because we've talked about them on the podcast enough. One name that really jumps out that you know, people should have their their eye on is, is Christian Vieux at Penn State. Came out of Ottawa. He was the first Canadian ever to be a finalist in the Elite 11 uh, quarterback competition. That's the uh, camp that Trent Dilfer runs down in the States for all the top quarterbacks, and they can beat. For, for who is the top QB recruit in the nation. Christian Veilleux was one of those 11 finalists. So one of the top quarterbacks in the nation. Now he's at Penn State last season. He was a redshirt, fre- uh, redshirt freshman, got into two games, and then actually came in and led his team to a victory over Rutgers. He threw, I think, four touchdown passes, no picks, uh, you know, 235 yards and a, and a big-time win coming in off the bench. So this is a kid with a lot of potential. Now he's probably not going to be the starter next year. Uh, They've got uh, Sean Clifford coming back for his COVID sixth year as a super senior. And there's some competition behind him in in a five-star recruit named Drew Alar. But Vieux is a guy who, when he gets on the field, he's got one of the, the term is an easy arm. I mean, it looks effortless, effortless and the ball is 60 yards down the field. He is so strong and so mobile. He can do it all. So in the next couple of years, you're going to hear Christian Vieux's name as a starting quarterback for whether it's Penn State or another D1 program. You'll hear his name a lot. And I'm sure if he blossoms into a starter, it'll be someone you'll hear uh, as a potential NFL draft guy. Now, the second one I want to highlight off the top is the top Canadian recruit for 2023. So he's got another year in high school, the kid named Drew Viaro. They call him Dunk the Canadian Cannon down in yeah. Michigan. Canadian Cannon. He's a three-star recruit. He's, you know, six, six, three, six, four, 220 pounds, really polished looking passer. He's already committed to Eastern Michigan. He's got seven other offers. I'm sure there'll be a couple other programs hoping to switch his commitment over the next year, but a really promising young quarterback who could probably start early in his college career once he finally gets to to Eastern Michigan. Two intriguing guys. The one for me that jumps out in this piece, because I've seen him in his run to a Vanier Cup in his first season at Western University, was Evan Hillock. He started for multiple years at St. Thomas More, who was the number one rated high school team in the country, located in Hamilton for the uninitiated and originally 
had committed to the University of Guelph, but then opted to go to the Mustangs. And that decision can pay off in a lot of ways, but the most critical one will be that time with Greg Marshall, who people will remember was a head coach with the Hamilton Tiger Cats in the mid-2000s, has that CFL experience at that level. But more importantly, he knows how to develop players and get them ready for the pros. Western has been a factory for developing future CFLers and even having some guys get a look in the NFL. Vaughn Martin probably would be the latest one, I think, in terms of a Mustang that actually played downs in the NFL after being at what was at the time the University of Western Ontario. So that development under Marshall could really aid Hillock if he gets to the point where he's viewed by CFL or even potentially NFL scouts as a prospect. Now, it's very rare for a quarterback to come in in his first year just out of high school and lead a Canadian university program to a Vanier Cup. But it was clear during training camp that Hillock should have started from day one there. And the calm, cool, collected attitude that he brought to that huddle really helped the Mustangs who lost, and I believe it was their first or second game of the year at Guelph. I saw it live, and there just wasn't any juice there. But when Hillock took over, I believe it was against Laurier, all the guys on the team, including 2022 CFL draft prospect and starting right tackle Zach Fry, will tell you there was a different energy when Hillock came into the huddle there. Now, he has a baseball background, can throw a heater, a fastball, in and around, I believe it was 80 miles an hour, maybe even getting up close to touching 90. So that's the type of arm strength, pure arm strength, that he has. And if he can develop to the level of, let's say, a Will Finch, who was a record-setting quarterback at Western, but stay healthy, unlike, unfortunately, Finch was able to do. He took a number of shots to the head especially and dealt with multiple concussions. Then I think Hillock could have a chance. It's a bit of a projection, but down the line, it's certainly possible. Yeah, there there are people that say, well, how can you have Evan Hillock on the list? Look at the run game he had. I mean, it wasn't him who was necessarily taking them to the Vanier. And to those people, I say, just go back and look at his high school tape, even in Hamilton. And you'll see a guy, I've never seen a quarterback like him go through progressions at that age. You know, you look at a normal Canadian high school quarterback, it's one read, maybe two, and then take off. Evan Hillock's sitting back in the pocket. He's going one read, two read. Like, he's going through the whole field making those plays. So intelligence-wise, which is the hardest part of the game to learn, reading the defenses, going through your progressions, he's already there and can only get better. It's about the development and how much Greg Marshall is willing to put on his plate that will determine his success in the future. And the one other guy I do want to bring up before we move on here is a guy I couldn't put on the top 10, but I put it as a footnote on the bottom because I think it's important that fans know about him. And it's a kid named J.D. Johnson. Now, J.D. Johnson Johnson is originally from Vancouver. His, uh, his dad was the head coach at SFU and played for the Lions, a, a true, uh, true Canadian. But he moved down to Arizona when his dad got a job coaching, a, I believe it was a, a junior college out there. And so he played his high school ball in Arizona as the backup to the top recruit in the nation, Spencer Rattler. But if we'll all recall, Spencer Rattler got suspended his senior season of high school. J.D. Johnson came in, uh, took over, became a three-star recruit, 
went to Michigan. There was a lot of buzz around him in the program. Unfortunately, he was diagnosed with a heart condition and was forced to retire two years ago. Uh, he's been an assistant coach, a student coach with the Wolverines who went to the college football playoff last year, a valued part of that program. But in December, he announced that he's unretiring, that he's been given medical clearance. He's going to come back to the football field and transfer and trying to find a place to become a starting quarterback. And his potential dunk is as high as any of the guys I've talked about. If he gets on with a, a Division I program, he's a guy that you'll talk about in the CFL-NFL conversation in the coming years. The only problem is that, that medical issues probably scared some teams off. Right now, he hasn't committed uh, to any schools. I, I don't know what offers he has, um, but there hasn't been a lot of movement on that front. So me, he may end up going the JUCO route or having to transfer down to an FCS or even a D2 school to find a chance to get on the field and prove himself. But keep, keep J.D. Johnson in the corner of your eye because he can be in that Christian Villa tier if he gets a chance and he's healthy because I know he's been working very hard uh, with a trainer and he knows the game from a mental standpoint exceptionally well. Make sure you go to 3 nationcom to check out the piece for the full top 10, the honorable mentions, because everybody loves reading about Canadian quarterbacks. And this is, in my mind, the definitive list right now of the dudes that you should keep an eye on in youth sports, in high school in our country, and south of the border in the NCAA as guys who could be the future at the position. A lot of angry high school kids in my DMs thinking they should be on the list. <laughs> That's all right. Confidence is key, man. Let's keep it going. The three-minute drill. CFL teams will have one individual with a diverse cultural background join football operations or business administrations for training camp as part of its diversity in football program. What could it lead to in the future? Hopefully it leads to diverse individuals from, you know, different backgrounds, you know, uh, Indo-Canadians, Black Canadians, uh, Asian Canadians, getting roles in, in coaching and football ops. Like, Sometimes we see now starting to happen in the NFL with guys like Robert Sala becoming the first Muslim American head coach. Hopefully we get to see that in the CFL as well. The Tiger Cats signed offensive coordinator Tommy Condell and defensive coordinator Mark Washington to contract extensions through the 2023 season and gave both the title of assistant head coach. And both are the top paid coordinators at their respective positions, or should I say side of the ball. So the Ticats paying up to keep Condell and Washington in the hammer. Three, counting three different teams, have offered John Ryan a contract, and the former Rough Riders puncher is not ready to retire from professional football. Imagine him back with the Blue Bombers, punching in the Grey Cup at Mosaic Stadium. Oh, man, I, I don't think Regina police would want that to happen because there would be a riot in the city if John Ryan came back in another uniform and won a great up. The Edmonton Elks signed one of those Canadian quarterbacks that was on the bottom of my list, Michael Beaudry, after he went unselected in the 2021 CFL draft. Could he actually make the team out of training camp? It seems like a long shot, but Chris Jones knows the rule book really well and he'll definitely know that Canadian quarterbacks count towards the ratio. So maybe he's got some gadget plays or maybe he's going to throw it back to a little, what do we call it? Wildcat formations? 
248 pounds coming at you. That's a that's a lot of beef. That's downhill runner. Canadian quarterback Trey Ford, brother and defensive back Tyrell Ford, and Queen's University defensive end Anthony Federico worked out at the Buffalo Bills local pro day. The buzz just keeps building for Ford to get an NFL shot at QB, doesn't it? It does, and it should, because Trey Ford deserves, just from an athletics perspective, to be on an NFL roster next season. Now, despite an unlikely road, Jeremy Dominique of the University of Charleston believes he's the best defensive player in the 2022 CFL draft. Is that fact or fiction, Dunk? Well, you had an intriguing piece on him that goes through his career, and I want to give him the benefit of the doubt, but we've seen this so many times in the draft process where people overstate how good they can be. That's it. I think there's something about this Dominique kid, and perhaps he might even sneak into the first round. So right now, I'll say it's amazing. University at Buffalo, beast of the border football camp, the first of its kind. How impactful could it be for Canadians to get seen by NCAA schools. I think it could be huge for those kids, those recruits, but I also love what they're doing, partnering with U Sports, trying to bring those coaches down. So this is an opportunity for even the kids that don't catch an NCAA scout's eye to catch a U Sport coach's eye and get another opportunity. The first openly gay player to play in the CFL is taking his talents to Europe. Former Montreal Alouettes defensive end Michael Sand has joined the Barcelona Dragons of the European League of Football and will serve as the team's assistant defensive line coach in their upcoming season. Did that hire come as a surprise to you, Doug? It did, because it didn't seem like to me that Sam wanted to play in the CFL, at least at the entry-level contract that he signed initially. But this shows me that he's still in love with the game. He's willing to go across the pond, and honestly, probably not for a ton of money, to stay involved. So I'm curious to see how he does with the Dragons. I feel like the Montreal Alouettes, because that man is dodging my calls. Canadian raised and University of Guelph grad Thomas Dimitrov is driving across the United States for his new podcast. Will you listen? Absolutely. A Canadian GM giving us insight on what it's like to run an NFL team. That's on my uh, playlist already. Canadian Chase Claypool shared an emotional video warning Pittsburgh Steelers teammate and quarterback Dwayne Haskins and revealed he was with him in his final moments. Rest in peace, Mr. Haskins. Thoughts and prayers as well. And we'll be back next week with the next episode of the Three Down Nation podcast. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.